This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Thank you for listening to this podcast from BFM 89.9. I'm Mira Sivasudi. Now after eight years on the air, we're bringing the bigger pictures health and living to you live on the ground. A whole day with the experts debunking myths behind heart disease and diabetes, addressing our love affair with food. Of course, George will be there talking about sperm. So join us at BFM's Health and Living Live 2016 on Saturday, 2nd of April. Go on and register at bfm.my slash health. BFM 89.9. Good morning. It's now uh, 9.35 and time for the SM show. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. The show that's about what's working and what's not in markets and stocks. I'm Sharad Kutin with Julian Ng. And joining us on the show this week is Jeff Ng, director of Fortress Capital. Uh, Melissa Idris, you know, one of our uh, hosts, also loves that name. Like Fortress Capital conjures up all these images of strength. Like, it's like you're protecting the money of your clients. Is that true? Yes, of course. That's our, our, our main reason for, for being in, uh, in business. Okay, so uh, what is the topic that you're going to take up today? It's globalizing f- your portfolio well, and such, or beta, smart beta, I think is the, t- the yes, main topic of today's show. specifically about smart beta. And I think some definitions are in order here. What is beta and what is alpha? That's the other thing called alpha, right? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, to put it in the most simplest form, uh, beta essentially is, the, is the, the risk and hence the return that the market is supposed to pay you as an investor. Okay, so, so that means in colloquial language, just follow the market only, la. Yes, yes. Okay, <coughs> and and <laughs> alpha <laughs> is is where if you're if you're you know smart enough or if you do enough research, you you should be investing in companies outside of the market uh, that would generate further returns over and above the market. So this idea of beta has generated some products uh, which allows people who are quite passive or lazy or, or the rest of us who don't have time to invest but want to accept market returns, mm-hmm. uh, they just buy into certain products like th- an index fund or yes. an ETF, right? Yes. Uh, because in- ETFs have been uh, the rage for the past few years um, and the attractions about these products is that the cost is very low because you take guesswork out of the whole process and you don't have to set up complicated research departments and hire very expensive fund managers. <clears throat> yeah, so the, the, um, you know, the, the traditional way of, of investing in the market was to buy, as, as, as you mentioned, Julian, the, the index fund, which was the, the cheapest, most efficient way of, of investing into the market. <clears throat> but with the advent of, of ETFs uh, came the, the, the engineering of traditional e- uh, index funds into more sp- specific types of, of benchmarks. So these days we have gold uh, ETFs, we have resource ETFs, we have inverse ETFs, those that, that you know, uh, they are benchmarks that go against the market. So if the market falls, let's say, uh, 5%, this inverse ETF goes up by 5%, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so um, there's still quite a bit of active investment when you're choosing ETFs, just because there's a multitude of different strategies that you could take. So the, your, research, your, your research now is essentially trying to identify trends in the market and finding the right ETFs that would give you that. Exposure. Okay, so this is the point where you move from a passive position to one of active, and this is where you move from beta to smart beta, yes, right? Uh, and and right. Uh, smart beta is basically the process of choosing some other ETFs that represent the sectors like tech and consumer 
and oil and gas uh, mm -hmm. that you want you may want to move into and populate your portfolio with that yes so um smart beta um really moves away from from the traditional benchmarks or the inde the indexes which are primarily market capitalization driven so when when i say market capitalization i, I basically mean is essentially the number of shares that a company has trading in the market multiplied by its share price mm -hmm. so um the one of the the limitations of the old in indexes and hence the index funds uh is the fact that if a company within that index grows very quickly in terms of its share price and case in point, Apple, for instance. Yep. And if Apple was in a benchmark, let's say, 10 years ago, Apple has since quadrupled, if not you know, gone, gone up multiple times Crazy. in terms of, yep. of its valuation. It has gone from perhaps 10% of the index into maybe 40 to 50% of the index today. So if anything were to go wrong with Apple, if it had one or two quarters worth of dismal results, uh, the investor who, in, who invests in that index fund would see pretty dramatic falls in terms of their value. Okay. So what Smart Beta tries to do to address that is it moves away from a market capitalization type of benchmark, in, but it looks more at certain uh, factors. For instance, a size factor or a value factor or a fundamental factor. And in fundamentals, they look at earnings, cash flow, and they try to build a benchmark out of that specific factor that they're looking at. Okay, so it's just not sectors. It's not just what you believe is going to happen in the tech sector or what you believe is going to happen in the consumer sector, but also what you believe is going to happen with companies of different sizes, companies of different valuations. Yes. And uh, what was the other factor that you mentioned? Fundamentals. Fundamentals. Yeah. What, what does fundamental mean? It's, it boils down to earnings, cash flow. Okay. Right? So yeah. it, it <clears throat> a company could be big merely because it's, uh, it's got a big brand, for instance, but its earnings or its cash flow may not be so strong. So when you're specifically looking at cash flows and earnings, that becomes a certain tilt uh, in your benchmark already. So this is amazing. That's uh, again uh, trying to blow my mind. Shiraj, you have a question. Well, yeah. For me, it's like I always thought that when you go into the market, there's an equal chance of winning as there is of losing. Is this an attempt to make sure, or, you know, reassure that your investors that they will always win? Is or I actually the, the the chances are not equal. Uh, you have a greater chance of losing than than winning. Right oh, now. do you? Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hence, hence, hence the word smart, right? So, so <laughs> you, if you try to be smart, hopefully you'll you'll get a better chance of. Winning. Well, in financial <laughs> planning circles, they say that uh, if you can't stomach the, you have to be able to stomach the risk of uh, 25 uh, of the high chance of 25 to 30 percent losses over the next three years. Uh, that is something statistical. I mean, I may be pulling numbers out of the air here, but you get what I mean. If you can't stomach the risk, you're likely to lose some money. A high chance of losing money over the next three years, but. You know, going back to smart alpha, uh, smart beta, right? Um, it actually gives us a chance to become fund managers. Uh, if mm -hmm. we, if we had take a certain view on certain things, we can actually proceed to make those moves and and look at the universe of ETFs and buy into whatever we believe in, right? Yes. Uh, so we are moving from let's say buying just a broad index fund of the S&P 500 or an Asia-Pacific fund to, let's say, we want to buy into some of these other factors that you're talking about. Is it something that is possible, the DIY option? Um, yeah, so the um, smart, smart beta is possible from a DIY uh, perspective, but a lot of the 
uh, the value or the quality of, of information that you get out of a smart beta strategy would depend on the inputs, so the data that is available to you. So to the average uh, individual investor, it all depends on what access to data that you have. Of course, the, the larger institutional fund managers would have, uh, I would say, greater access to information just because of the scale and the resources that they have. Uh, and of course, the, the, the people who will be full-time looking into the, the data and picking out the data that they want to use. So as an in individual investor, it all depends on how much time, how much resources is available to the individual investor. Uh, for them to then make the right decisions in smart beta. So short answer, not easily done. It's not, it's uh, not easy, but almost impossible, is it? Exactly. So, so, so this is why the um, the market is is making all of these smart beta products available, right? So, so that individual investors can then pick and choose, bet you know, between that. Well, you know, uh, we'll have more on the SNM show in just a few minutes. BFM eighty nine point nine. You're still here. Good. Now, if you're listening to this podcast while on the treadmill, you're already off to a good start. If you're not, don't forget to join us at BFM's Health and Living Live 2016 on the 2nd of April. Find out how you can live a better, healthier life. Go on and register at bfm.my slash health. Morning, it's 9.45. I'm Sharad Kutin, Julian Ng with me, and it's the SM show. And we're joined, oops, and we're joined by uh, Jeff. I really hate that whip. Uh, I, we're joined by Jeff Ng. He's the director of Fortress Capital, and we're discussing smart beta, which was the most searched for term in uh, investing dictionary website, investopedia.com last year. So, why the great enthusiasm again for smart capital? Oh, sorry, smart beta? <laughs> Yeah, earlier on before we uh, broke uh, for the ads, uh, you talked about how difficult it is for fund managers to, uh, for actually for you to do it yourself, uh, to go into the smart beta, to choose different ETFs on your own. But the thing is that uh, most fund managers in Malaysia would not want to go that direction. They want to still pick their own stocks instead of populating the portfolios with ETFs, right? Um, yes, so the... Um Reasons behind this is uh, partly because the demand is still there. So the sophistication of investors in this part of the world uh, are still very much focused on, on individual stocks. Isn't it a, just a matter of marketing, right? Uh, you tell consumers, you tell investors what they need. I mean, like five years ago, um, I would never pay 2,000 ringgit for a phone that I can carry around with me, right? Uh, and right now, I wouldn't pay for something to a watch that I wear on my wrist for a few thousand bucks. Uh, but then things may change because of marketing, right? You, you need to, we need to educate people as to what's possible. Yes, and the, um, um, there, there, there have been instances of uh, fund managers, of course, o over the years introducing ETFs into our Malaysian market as well. Uh, I think if I'm not uh, uh, wrong, there's at least, uh, you know, seven or eight ETFs in our market today. Uh, yep. and, uh, but if you look at the take-up rate in terms of, of, uh, of a relative size of ETFs against the overall market, it's still a very, very small percentage. And of course, uh, the ETFs that have been created for the Malaysian market is, I would say, not very complete. Uh, mm -hmm. They are on the Malaysian market, obviously, and also some ASEAN ETFs, some China ETFs, but it's some Sharia ETFs. Yeah. Sharia, yeah. Um, uh, it's hardly the kind of stuff that you can put into your portfolio based on a smart beta uh, uh, phenomenon, right? You're absolutely right, Julian. So, um, 
really for SmartBeta's strategy to work for the Malaysian investor, and it needs to be more of a global view. Yeah, and also to your point, Jeff, I I just don't know what your view on this is, and Shrad, maybe you can weigh in too. Uh, most of our investments are in Malaysia. We have we buy a property in Malaysia. EPF is uh, largely Malaysian. The unit trust, I think you can look at data that's uh, been pr- being given out by the FIMM or uh, the Securities Commission is very much Malaysian centric. Again, uh, we are still struggling to sell the idea of regional and global diversification. The the statistics seem to show that uh, in the long term, uh, the the average percentage of uh, the typical investors' portfolio in Malaysia has moved higher t- towards overseas investments. Um, but of course, I mean, this rate of growth has been very slow. Uh, but I think the trend does show that the, the investor is looking to diversify overseas as well. Is that because there are just a lot more opportunities? I mean, if we limit ourselves to Malaysia, uh, we are actually limiting the uh, you know, possibilities of the growth is uneven across the globe, essentially. Yes, so um, you are, you're, you're right. So, uh, you know, the, you know, like, let's say the U.S. markets, for instance, they've been outperforming for the last seven years. Uh, emerging markets, which includes Malaysia, has been underperforming for the last five to seven years. So, uh, you know, investors have had very little option if they if they really wanted to focus themselves here. If they were looking for higher returns, they have had to look elsewhere, uh, you know, mm-hmm. to, to, to But get there is returns. also something appealing about not putting all your eggs in one basket, no matter whether Malaysia is uh, doing well or not. And it's quite hard to sustain that belief that Malaysia is best and there, there is nothing else out there. I think it's just a diversification game. Right, so diversifi- di- diversification regardless of um, performance, you always want to maintain as a principle for your portfolio. Is that what you would th- uh, say? It, it does, over the long term, uh, make your portfolio uh, more diversified from a risk perspective. Right, and if if you go back to the traditional, or the the most simplistic way of investing, it is compounding your returns that is important. It is not making fifty percent in one year and losing twenty percent the next. It's perhaps making ten percent every year for the next five years mm-hmm. that would outperform, you know, the the older strategy. That's a that's a very nice way of actually putting it. It really highlights the importance of looking at risk. But I want to go back to your comments about Apple being too big for an index or a market. I mean, we see it here with stocks like Maybank and Telecom, you know, dominating our index as well. Uh, And it raises to me the question of representation and and the reliability of what is produced by ETFs, right? Mm -hmm. So you have the full market ETFs, and then you also have the sectoral and factorial ETFs that you mentioned. How can we be sure that this is reliable uh, for these ETFs to represent whatever factors or sectors that you are talking about? You have hit probably the most sensitive part about smart, smart beta here in, in Malaysia, Julian. Um, I think one of the key challenges of smart beta products or ETFs being produced is really just the lack of depth or breadth of the domestic market. Uh, and if we take an example of, let's say I want to look at a, a small cap type of smart beta portfolio or an ETF, um, it's very hard to build a small cap uh, smart beta portfolio in Malaysia just because A, the the number of of companies would be limited and B, 
um, the the smaller companies tend to have a very large shareholding concentration. So the the family or the business owner would generally own a very large part of the overall business. So there's not enough shares to there's buy. There's not enough liquidity. Yes. Yeah. So there's not an, uh, enough uh, opportunity for an ETF to come in, take a meaningful stake in the in the in the company. Okay. So, but let, let's turn our attention to what's available out there. I mean, there are many exotic ETFs that are listed in places like Hong Kong, Singapore, the United States, Europe. Uh, they have got, for example, a tech ETF. Or, you know, there I say something more exotic, like a long short ETF, right? Um, how do you know that those ETFs are reliable to execute my investing um, view or my investing plan? The reliability of, of, of the ETF is, is just that. I mean, <clears throat> what, what the ETF presents you is a, a basket of, of stocks that has been pre-selected based on a, on a certain factor of view. Um, so it is criteria driven. So uh, the investor, when you're selecting an ETF, you need to understand what the what what the criteria has been for the for the portfolio to have been built around. Once you 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 understand that and you're comfortable with it, then it's you know depending on what your views are, you would then choose yes or no. That you know. Okay, let, let's take the it. Malaysian example for instance, right? The FBM KLCI. Is that representative of the Malaysian economy? Say, if I have a view that I want to make a bet on Malaysia, um, is investing in the FBMK LCI, does that execute my plan perfectly? Yes and no. Uh, yes, because the, the FBMK LCI 30 represents the 30 largest sized companies in Malaysia. Um, whether they will be representative of the growth of Malaysia is another thing altogether, right? So, for instance, if the ringgit is weak and the export market is doing extremely well for Malaysia, I would say that the FBM 30, the FBM KLCI 30 may not be the best representative uh, exposure you may, you may want. You may want to look for a basket of companies which are more you know, exposed to, uh, to exports and the, and the growth that comes from that. Okay, so from a smart beta perspective, how does one execute a plan for a view on Malaysia? I mean, Mark Mobius has said that uh, the ringgit is going to go up 30% from here, right? Uh, if you want to take that view, how do you execute that plan from a smart beta perspe perspective? So you would be essentially uh, building a smart beta portfolio that would, would consist of companies that would benefit from a strengthening ringgit. Uh, maybe those who essentially have significant amounts of offshore debt, you know, debt which is denominated in, 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 in other currencies. Uh, those which um, I suppose will, will be importers. So if you're if a company imports uh, quite a lot of stuff from, from overseas, as the ringgit uh, appreciates, the cost of their imports would also become more competitive and so forth. So these are the types of factors you'll be looking at when you're selecting companies. So that's a last question before we let you go, uh, this being the SNM show and it's all about torture of the guests, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> well, I thought was, that was breakfast grills. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you're all about torture. Um, what, uh, what are your views now? What, what are you going into and uh, what are you advising for your clients? We are currently at a, at a stage of, um, uh, you know, very anemic growth. Uh, overall, we, we, you know, and the, the return environment is very weak. Expectations for, for, for returns has been very low. I mean, you've got Europe and Japan going into negative interest rate territory. So the, the challenge really is to, to generate 
uh, sustainable returns in, in our, our client portfolios. And you're obviously selling smart beta products. We are building them. What, what yeah. will you put into the, the portfolio? Um, so again, the, the, the types of strategies that, that we are building on, on smart beta essentially would be just that, you know, depending on, on what our views are of, uh, let's say, wh where the ringgit is going to go, uh, where the general economic growth is going to be, uh, our smart beta portfolios would be tilted towards that. So perhaps one that's more driven towards consumption behavior uh, throughout the, you know, through the, the, the longer term uh, view. You've been listening to the SNM show. And thank you so much to our guest, uh, Jeff Ng, director at Fortress Capital. I'm Sherrod Kutin with Julian Ng, and we play out with Faithfully by Journey. The 10 o'clock news is up next. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.